Has that ever happened to you? They were not waving at you. Oh my goodness. Have you ever been in that situation, a position where you were just, oh, uncomfortable? Just, oh, you want so badly to be out of it. Maybe, have you ever been in a circumstance, maybe in your car, your song comes on? Mm -hmm. Not just your song, your anthem. You are bringing it down. And you're not just singing it to sing it. You are singing it. You are Friday afternoon drive home kind of singing it. Just freedom. Woohoo! Bringing it down. You're loving it. You're great time. You hit the high note, the kind that you have to turn your head to hit. Woo-hoo! All of a sudden you realize somebody's been watching the whole show. Oh, ooh, that's so embarrassing. You just want to crawl under the seat, and oh, it's terrible. And they won't look. Have you ever been there? Has anybody ever been there? Some of you, thank you for being honest. The rest of you guys need to repent. We'll be talking later. Um, humiliating. You want to crawl under the seat. The worst is when they won't look away. Look away. I don't want you to look at me anymore. It's humiliating. I have discovered this happens to me all the time. I know you're surprised. Happens to me all the time. I've discovered something that can completely solve your problem. Roll the window down. Give them their money's worth. Mm-hmm. But don't stop. You got to you keep singing to them, giving it to them, and quickly you're going to notice they're not looking anymore. They're going to peek a few times. He won't look away. He won't stop singing to me. They're going to pretend like they're doing something else. Calling mom on the Mama, is somebody singing to me on the, on the run? I don't know why they won't stop singing. I, don't, I know it sounds like dying cats, Mama. I don't, he won't stop. 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 I don't know why. Shoes on the feather foot now. Hello. <laughs> well, sometimes we find ourselves in, in uncomfortable circumstances. Today we're going to be looking at a text, John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at a vi- four times Jesus is going to find some people in very uncomfortable circumstances. And all logic, all evidence points that it's all Jesus' fault. Mm. John chapter 11 opens up with... oh tell you ahead of time so that you're going to be ready for this. There is two big events that are going to be happening here. The first of these is a firecracker, fireworks, amazing kind of a story. A story that if you've been in in church for a while and you've been in scripture for a while, you're probably familiar, familiar with this. The second story doesn't have anywhere near the fireworks, but we're going to discover is actually far more significant. But the beginning of the chapter, John chapter 11, opens up with Jesus has been going around doing his thing, preaching, teaching, and doing just his amazing stuff, miracles, wowing crowds. And he gets news that his good friend, Lazarus, the brother of Mary, brother of Martha, he's not doing well at all. Someone has has traveled for days to get there to talk to him and say, your buddy Lazarus, things are not going well. Well, Jesus gets the news when somebody travels that far to tell you something is probably more than a tummy ache. He's not doing well. And he says, wow, this is, this is terrible. And here's what, here's what he does. This loving, caring, wonderful Jesus who, who loves everybody doesn't go back. Stays in town. Hangs out there for a few more days. Now, the disciples hear this and they go, good move, Jesus. You are smart. Great idea. We do not want to go back there. I'm sorry, Lazarus. I know. I do not want you to be sick. I'm sure you'll get better. But if we go back there, they're going to stone us. The leadership the people in that area, well, there's some that just don't like what Jesus is doing, what he stands for. We don't need to go back there. It'll hurt. It's not going to end good for us. We'll get stoned, and it's not the Colorado kind of stone that we're talking about. It's the other kind, and it's just not comfortable. So let's not go back there. Day one goes by. Let's just keep on keeping on. Let's press on. Let's, let's press toward the mark. Let's not look back. Onward and upward. Day two, Jesus says, oh, guys, we're going back. Uh, really? You know stones, right? Yes. But my buddy, my buddy, he's, he's not doing well, and I've got to go back. Well, he'll get better, Jesus. Don't, you don't worry about him. We've got bigger things to do. We are pursuing the plan of God. Bigger deals right now. My buddy Lazarus, 
well, guys, you don't get it. He's, he, he, he has died, and we've got to go back. Uh, incredibly uncomfortable circumstance right here. My, my friend Lazarus has died. It's good for you that, that I wasn't there so that you may believe. Now let's go. The end of this text, the, um, this, this first section of chapter 1, incredibly uncomfortable. In the end of it, the, the last part of this scene, Thomas says, great idea, Jesus. Lazarus has died. Now why don't we go back and die with him? Great plan. Here's the thing that, that I find a little... Now, you can, you can recognize we don't want to go back. It's going to hurt. Not a good idea. That sense of uncomfortableness. I want to share with you really quickly the thing that I find as a pastor most uncomfortable about this text. At the end of this text, after Jesus has said... He, he had already told them, here's what I'm going to do. He says in, in verse 4, kind of the second half of it, the sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. Now, if you're a person who, who's a critic toward things like Scripture, you may go, well, Jesus just said, it's not going to end in death. Lazarus dies. Whoops, Jesus messed up, didn't he? Whoopsie. Reality, um, you're kind of right, but really wrong. But he is right that it's not going to end in death. Jesus never said it wasn't going to play a part, though. So he knows what he's going back to do. He's going back to do something amazing. So... Um, uncomfortable circumstance. He knows what he's going back to do. The disciples don't understand to the point, an an impressive kind of commitment. Notice, we'll go back and we're going to die too. They're willing to follow him anyway. That's impressive. That's commitment. But they don't want to. Jesus says, let's go. Thing that as a pastor, I, I don't understand. I wish that there were some more words in here, and I don't understand why there aren't. Nowhere, after, after they say, Jesus, this is a bad idea, nowhere does it even hint that Jesus says, oh, wait a minute, guys, you don't understand. I've got a plan there. Doesn't say anything. Great, Jesus, we're going to, he's died, now we're going to go, and we're going to die with him. Whatever. Nowhere does he say, no, guys, you don't get it. I'm going to raise him back from the dead. You know, you're missing it. You follow me. Just trust me. You know that everything's going to work out for good. You just trust me. He doesn't say any of that. They follow him frustrated. They're angry about the decision that he made. They follow him anyway, but they don't like it. thing that makes me most uncomfortable, Jesus, aren't you supposed to make people feel better? Aren't you supposed to fix these kinds of problems? Aren't you supposed to clear these up? Why don't you help them? Why don't you explain to them? Why didn't you help them? He didn't say a thing. The whole way back, didn't say a thing. That's not that Jesus is supposed to help people, isn't he? He's supposed to make you feel better. Didn't make them feel better. I don't... Maybe Pastor Eric will give us the answer next week because I don't have it. But scene two opens up. He gets into town, and uh, let me read it to you. It's, it's kind of introducing Martha here. So, verse 17, So when Jesus came, he found that he had already, Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off the area where they were. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Thank you very much, Jesus, for your religious, consoling words. It's not what I was wanting from you. I wanted something altogether different. Thanks but no thanks. Thanks for nothing. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Mary? She said to him, yes, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Yes, yes, yes. Hot mess, Martha. She had um, been a little bit frustrated, and for it seems like very good reason. She had called for Jesus. They had sent Jesus, please come. And and when, as soon as he got there, Jesus, if you had just bothered to show up, my brother would be alive today. 
If you just bothered to get here, if you could have just come, he'd be okay. But you were so busy with all those other things. You were so busy helping strangers, you didn't even have time for your friend. The one that you said you loved. You didn't even have time. You you didn't even show up. All you had to do was show up, Jesus. I thought you loved him. You've got so much time for all these other people. You can help all of them with their problems. You don't have time for my brother. You don't care enough about my brother. You don't care enough about your friend. All of these other people must be so much more important to you. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Thanks for nothing. Now, Martha was a hot mess. She was frustrated. And and again, understandably, she had certainly, she and Mary had talked together. They had sent sent for Jesus, and they had looked at one another and said, this is going to be amazing. He's going to come. Jesus is going to come. And you know what happens when Jesus shows up. Ha ha, can I wait for him to get here? And surely they probably talked a little bit with Lazarus and said, you just hold on, buddy. You just hold on because as bad as you feel right now, Jesus is on the way. And Lazarus, you know what happens when Jesus shows up. You've seen it before. You've seen what he does to the strangers. I can't wait to see what he does for you. Lazarus, and I wonder if Lazarus even thought to himself at taking this this sickness as a badge of courage to say, I will gladly suffer this. I will gladly go through this because I know my Jesus is on the way. My Jesus is going to show up and he's going to heal me. And I'm going to get to be one of those stories that I've seen. I'm going to get to live it. I'm going to get to share it. I'm going to be one. God, I will gladly suffer this suffering now because I know the Messiah, my King, my Jesus is on the way and everything's going to be all right. And Mary would look at Martha and say, everything's going to be all right. You know who's on the way. And Martha, Mar- Mary would look at Martha and say, We know he's on the way. Everything's going to be okay. We trust him. We believe in him. He is the Messiah. He can, and certainly he will. He loves Lazarus. After all he's done for all of those strangers, certainly. He's on his way. This is going to be amazing. And he doesn't show up. For days, Lazarus passes away. Martha certainly disappointed. She prayed. She believed. She knew. And he didn't even show up. And for days she stewed. I can't wait for him to get here. I can't wait for him to show up. I'm going to give him a piece of my, his, my mind. He deserves to know how I feel. He needs to hear this. He, I can't wait for him to get here. And for days she would think about and she would talk about. And she would just build up her head of steam waiting for Jesus to get there so that she could give him a piece of her mind. I wonder if you and I get that way every once in a while. Maybe you have somebody in your family. We just get so angry that in your head, nothing is going to make you feel better than just blowing up on somebody else. Nothing is going to, I can't start getting better until I have hurt somebody else. Somebody needs to know my pain and feel what it feels like. Then I'll start getting a little bit better. Martha was hot mess. Martha was angry. So angry, so frustrated that she, in the text that says, Mary, knowing that Jesus was on the way, decided I'm just going to hang back here. (laughs) I know how she gets, and I'm not getting in the blast radius. Mm-mm-mm. Not going to poke that bear. Jesus is a big boy. I've seen him handle the Pharisees. He can handle her because I can't. Not going to happen. I'm just going to wait here. Mm-hmm. Martha goes. She blows up. She has her fit. She tells Jesus exactly what he needs to hear and exactly how she feels and how disappointed in him she is that he wouldn't bother to show up. And then... Uh, the thing that, that is most uncomfortable to me about this text, you can imagine Martha is a little bit uncomfortable right now. She believed. And notice this. She wasn't questioning who he was. At the, end of, at the end down here, it says, yes, Lord, I know that you are the Christ. She's not questioning his, his position. She's not questioning his power. She's not questioning his authority. She's not wondering, has your power waned? Are you incapable? Have you, have, uh, have you lost the touch? None of that. In fact, a few verses earlier, she had said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know even now, whatever you ask of God, he'll give you. Now, she wasn't thinking, will you ask for my brother to come back to life? Because even when Jesus says, I'm going to raise him back up, she goes, thanks for your religious words. Thanks for nothing. I know he's going to raise again at the resurrection. Not what I wanted, Jesus. What she was saying was a criticism. 
had you just cared enough to show up, my brother would be okay. But even right now, Jesus, I know right now if some stranger were to walk up, you could fix them. I know if some stranger were to walk up and say, help my arm, you'd fix that. You'd help them. You've got time for them. You can help everybody else. You don't have time for my brother. I thought you loved him, Jesus. You said you cared. What happened? She wasn't questioning his authority. She wasn't questioning his position. She wasn't questioning his power. What was it that she was questioning? Was it the same thing that that we question when we struggle with God? When I'm, going through a, when, I, when I'm going through a circumstance that I just don't know how to get out of, and I know that it's out of my hands, there's nothing I could do, nothing my friends could do, nothing anyone else can do, and I'm praying and I'm saying, Jesus, I know that you can. I believe in you. I trust you. I know that your word says all things work together for good for those who trust you. I trust you and, and believe. I believe and are called according to your purpose. I'm called and I'm following. I'm doing my very best. I'm doing all of this, God. I believe in you. I know who you are. We don't tend to question that part, do we? Are you still there, God? We don't tend to question that, do we? We don't tend to question, do you realize what's going on here? We tend to, we know that Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Jesus, I know that you can. You've done far more than this. What do I have to get you to, what do I have to do to get you to care? What do I have to do? What do I, what do I have to do to make you want to help? What, what would make you care enough to just intervene, to get involved, to show up, Jesus, if you should just show up. If you just show up, everything would be okay. What do I have to do? Why don't you care? When I question my God, that tends to be the same question I ask him. What about you? Do you find yourself in the same place that Martha does? You don't know the most uncomfortable part of this text for me? this section, at the end, she walks away. She walks away angry. She walks away. In fact, she says in the very next verse, she goes up to Mary, says, when she had said this, she went away and she called Mary, her, her sister, and saying secretly, teacher, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. Now, of all the things that she could have said, she did not say, the Messiah's back and he's calling for you. Jesus, he's here and he's calling for you. Our friend, our hope, our Redeemer is back. He's calling for you. Nope. Mm-mm. Jesus is here. Nope. He used the term, she used the term with her sister of her good friend. She used the term that the others use. Those who really don't know him well. The people, just the, the crowd would use. The, the lawyer who didn't really know him who said, well, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The unfamiliar term is what she used. What's the... De- Rebecca, when you go to school and you were to sit down and talk with, if you were at school with Mr. Matney and Mr. Matney had, you'd been sitting in the principal's office and you talked for a little while and you walked out, what would be the difference? Do you notice a small difference in tone if you were to walk out and you saw Elena and said, Elena, Mr. Matney's looking for you. He's in his office. Is there a a little bit different thing being said if, if you were to walk out and say, the principal's looking for you? He's in his office. Oh, no. This is not about my locker combination. I don't know what to do. That's probably not going to be a good meeting. Martha, when she walks up to Mary, the teacher's looking for you. Distant, angry. The thing that makes me most uncomfortable is this. When she walks away, Jesus could have said, Martha, wait, wait, wait. I understand that you're upset. I realize that you're angry. I see that. And I'm sorry, but you don't understand. I'm here to raise your brother back up. Doesn't say that. I'm here to give you hope. Doesn't say that. I'm here because I'm about to change things. You go get your sister and all the other people who are mourning. Let's go meet over at the grave. I'm about to show you something amazing. Doesn't even hint. She blows up. She tells him what she thinks he needs to hear, what he deserves to hear, She walks off angry, not filled with hope. Jesus, I thought you were supposed to fix problems. I thought you were supposed to make people feel better. How come you didn't make make Martha feel better? How come you didn't make the disciples feel better when they were misunderstanding? why 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 didn't you just take time to clear it up? 
Why did you share with them the, the things that seem so logical that they would need to know so that they could trust you better? Why didn't you say anything? I don't get it. You don't show up. You don't say the things that, that they need to hear at the time. Nothing. So, end of scene two, into scene three, Mary. She walks over, she talks to Mary. Mary hear, hears that Jesus is here. She already knew it, of course. Jesus is calling for you. Mary has an impressive propensity to be in the right posture before Jesus. I don't know if you've, if you've heard this story before. There was a time when Jesus was at their house. They were hanging out, and the disciples were there having a good time. Martha, hot mess Martha, was working like crazy. Mary, being a slacker, sitting down by his feet, just hanging out. Martha, Martha was working. She looked over. She got frustrated. I've had enough of this. Walks over to Jesus. Jesus, you need to do something. Make her get up and do something. I'm over here. I'm shucking the corn. I'm, I'm blanching the peas. I'm plucking the feathers out of the chicken. I didn't say that one. That one's gross. But I'm doing all this stuff. I'm working hard trying to do something for you to provide for all of you guys. I, I'm doing all of this. She's doing nothing but just sitting there in front of you and hanging out. If you're familiar with the story, you remember Jesus said, Martha, and this is the loose New Jason translation. It's not authorized, but it's in there somewhere. Martha, I appreciate all the things that you are doing. It, it, I'm, I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. But if, if there's a choice between going and doing something for me and just being with me, Mary's chosen the better thing. She had a pretty impressive propensity to be in the right posture before Jesus. She heard that Jesus was there. She ran out so fast that nobody even recognized what was going on. They thought, oh, she must be going to the grave to mourn there. She ran up and ran off, so they went to follow her. She got up to where Jesus was, and she just fell at his feet. What better place to be than at the feet of Jesus? When you're struggling, what better place to be? When you're in need, what better place to be? She went right. She had this impressive propensity to be in the right posture before Jesus. There's so much that we can learn from Mary and her, the way that she responded to Jesus. And I want to encourage you maybe just to spend some time looking for yourself. There's so much that we can glean from her. But something I want you to recognize this morning is sometimes we can be doing all the right stuff, saying all the right things, doing all the right things in the right place, believing all of the right things in the right posture, still not have the right heart, still not recognize and understand the heart of the Father. Mary falls down before Jesus, and, and she, she says, Jesus, see if this sounds familiar, Jesus, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? If you'd only been, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Young men, single people in here, a couple of you guys. All right, this is for you. Write this down, save you some heartache. Something that us married men have learned the hard way. Sometimes a lady will say something that she'll mean a whole lot more than what she's saying. They're giggling because they know. There are times when my wife will say something like, Jason, trash is full. All right. Thanks for the heads up. Now, when I was a younger, less wise man, living with my roommate, my friend, Adam Tate, he would say things like that for me to time, from time to time. And I would say, Adam would say, Jason, the trash is full. And I would say, Adam, Thank you for that heads up. Now I know when I need to go put trash in the trash can, I've got to push it down <laughs> so that it doesn't fall over and make a big mess. Maybe I should go put it in a different receptacle. Thank you for the heads up, Adam. Appreciate it. That's not what my wife was telling me. That was not an FYI. She was not just looking for words to use. <laughs> Jason, the trash is full. That's code for whatever you're doing. Stop. Get up, take out the trash, put it in the trash can, and then put a new liner in the trash can because you're not done until the new liner's in the trash can. And then you can go sit down. That's, oh, see, they know. Sometimes ladies say things and they mean more than they're just saying with their words. That, again, my toilet paper. In my house, when you run out, 
you're, when the person who uses the end, the last one, puts a new one on there. It's a wise rule. It's a smart rule. I know it's a good rule because my wife told me it is, so it is. When I was younger and less wise, sometimes my friend Adam would say, Jason, the toilet paper roll is empty. And I would say to Adam, Adam, thank you for that heads up. Now I know to take something in there with me so I don't have to get hung up in the bathroom. Thank you very much. You just saved me and probably the shower curtain. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, that was, whoops. (laughs) So thank you. My wife is not saying just FYI. Jason, the toilet paper roll is empty. That's code for stop whatever you're doing because whatever it is, it's not important enough. Go to the bathroom, get a new toilet paper roll, put it on the toilet paper holder. The end. Sometimes ladies will say things and they mean something altogether more. I wonder if Mary, when she is in the right posture before Jesus and says, Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder if she's doing more than just giving him a little FYI. Oh, I don't know any other words to say. I'm going to put these together and make a sentence. I wonder, I wonder if she means something by that. Our ladies are all shaking their head, guys. They seem to get it. Help me out with this. If, if you see a criticism that she would be making to Jesus right now, or a question that she's asking to Jesus, look to someone next to you, one person, and share with them the criticism or the question that you think that she would be offering Jesus in those words. Really quickly, right now, look to someone and tell them what you think. A lot of ladies are looking and talking. A lot of guys, married guys, we've got 50-50 chance. Single guys over there looking at each other. Getting on the phone. Google, what's the answer? Siri, help me out. Jesus, if you had just cared enough to show up, don't you care? You've got time for everybody else. Don't you care? Didn't you care? Apparently not. All you had to do was show up, but instead you just hung out somewhere else with people that are strangers. Don't you care, Jesus? You've disappointed me this time, God. You've disappointed me. I needed you. I believed. And you dropped the ball. One of probably the more touching parts of Scripture is the thing that comes right after this. It's actually before the the fireworks event. It says, Jesus, he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. Having, in the verse before that, in verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled and and said, Where have you laid him? And, And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And right there, then the very next verse, shortest verse in all of Scripture, probably one of the most profound, it says, Jesus wept. He broke down and just wept. The words just before that, um, there are some, some strong words. Theologians point out that the word that, that talks about when he was troubled, the picture word is there is a person gritting and gnashing their teeth in, in frustration. And theologians will argue that he is, he's frustrated, he's moved in spirit and frustrated more than he's upset. And I look at that and I, I think, to a degree, they're right. He has every reason to be highly agitated right now. He knows right now that he is, he's close to the cross. He's, he's already zeroed in beyond a month. He's, he's weeks from the cross. He is near the end of his journey here. And still, the people who know him best, the people who followed him the closest, still don't get it. They, they figure it out a lot. They've got a lot, but they still don't get the heart of, of their God. The disciples, when he said, hey guys, we're going back, they still thought their perspective was better than his. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't get it. And he speaks in, in kind of a code when he responds to them, guys, 
You're speaking from, from a position of darkness. You don't understand the bigger picture of what's going on. Whereas I'm standing in the light. I've got a plan here. Trust me because I'm in the light. I see the bigger picture. And the disciples say, no, from my perspective, you're wrong. And still, Jesus, I, could, I understand how frustrating it would be to have walked with these guys for years, for them to have seen the things that he had, they had seen so close to the end of the journey, still his very, very closest friends, his most trusted allies. I doubt your heart. I think you're wrong. And when he, when he walks up, as soon as he gets into town, one of his best friends, Martha, walks up. And, and from her perspective, he has dropped the ball. From her perspective, from her field of vision, everything that she sees, obviously he has messed up. Obviously, he doesn't care. Their quest, she's questioning the heart of God still. Mary, even though her posture's just right, still doesn't get the heart of her father. They are living out the parable of the prodigal son. If you're familiar with scripture, that you remember there was a father, two sons. Um, he had a pretty good bit of wealth. And one of the sons, the younger son, says, Dad, I'm tired of waiting on you to die. Let me go ahead and have my share of the inheritance now so I can go live my own life. I'm tired of this. I want to go do my own thing. He grants it to him. He goes, he lives his own life. He makes some very poor decisions, makes some very immoral decisions, wasteful with his money, and just uh, an embarrassment to the family in all that he's doing. Famine hits, loses everything. He's on the streets. He's hungry. He eats the food that, that animals eat. In essence, he eats garbage. And as he's there, recognizes even my dad's lowest level servants live so much better than I am right now. I don't deserve to be a son, and I would never ask, never presume that I would have that right again. But if only I can be a servant. If I could just go be a low-level servant to work his fields, I'll be far better off. So he takes hat in hand, and he goes and he talks to dad. He's his plan, go talk to dad. Dad sees him a long way off, runs up to see his son, wraps his arms around him, puts a cloak on him, puts a ring with a family insignia on his arm, his, his finger, not on his arm, that would hurt. And he, he, the son, wait, no, no, dad, I, I don't deserve, I'm not going to ask, no, no I'm, I would never presume. You are my son. My son was lost and now he's found. And that, of all reasons, is reason to celebrate. And he takes his son home and he begins to celebrate. He invites the friends and he invites his family. And they, they, it says they killed a fatted calf. Steaks for everybody. This is a great day. Meanwhile, older brother, outside, upset, frustrated. Dad, how dare you? He was an embarrassment to our family. After all he's done, you're willing to just... Look over it like nothing ever happened. He's wasted your money, all that you've worked for. He has made you a laughing stock. He has humiliated us. He's probably brought us back some kind of diseases. We don't, he doesn't deserve, I can't believe, after all that I have done, Dad, after all that I have worked, I've worked all of my life, I've gotten up early, I've been out in the fields, I've done everything that I was supposed to do as a good son. Not once have you thrown me a party. Not once is there stakes for everybody for this one. Nope, you got time for that one. You'll love that one. What about me, Dad? What about me? You're wrong here, Dad. You remember the Dad says, well, son, everything that I have, it belongs to you. But this brother of yours was lost. He's found reason above reasons to celebrate. Some of us have talked before, and, and you may know that I believe that the real prodigal in this story is the older brother, the one that looks most like the Jews who have walked with the father for years and years and years, still don't get his heart. I wonder how frustrating it was to Jesus as he was there weeks within the cross itself, and he knew it. Closest friends look just like the older brother. Martha, the older brother. Mary, the older brother. All of his close friends, the disciples, the older brother, because according to their perspective, according to what they saw, they knew better than Jesus. And Jesus had messed up. I could see that he would be a little bit aggravated. But not only that, sometimes when we cry, we cry for more reasons than just one. The scripture says that he, he saw Mary weeping, broken, crying. She, he saw the, the disciples, um, excuse me, the, the other Jews there crying, weeping over the loss of their friend Lazarus. And, and he broke down and, and he wept. He wept. The God of the universe 
cared enough to draw near. He wasn't mourning the loss of Lazarus. He, he had already said twice he knew what he was coming back to do. He was hurting because Mary was hurting. Even though, from her, even though her perspective was off, he was hurting because she was hurting. He was hurting because they hurt. I was actually reminded that not too um, long ago. About last November, just before Thanksgiving, I lost a good friend of mine, a man that, that um, has been in this church for many years and has, has been an, an example and an encourager to, to many. And everyone who knew him um, were honored to call him friend. Mr. Marty, um, about a year ago, we lost him. Um, incredible, incredible man. I remember being in the funeral kind of hurting myself. It was, it was hard. Actually, after the funeral, I went back to my office and just wanted to be by myself for a little while. And I was struggling. And I, for a little while, God reminded me of the big picture of what was going on. And, and it, it was transforming for me to a degree. Because I remember, just like he says in Zephaniah, he says that he dances over us. He wasn't mourning Marty's loss. He was celebrating Marty's homecoming. He was dancing over us. He was dancing over Marty, just like a, a, a grandfather when him and his daughter and his, her husband, they're in the hospital and they, they deliver their very first grandchild and the nurse walks into the waiting room and says, it's a girl. And grandma stands up and, oh, I was, I was praying. And, and grandfather jumps up and dances and shouts, yes, yes, yes. And he dances over us. Like, like when your son kicks his first goal in the soccer game and you want so badly to run out on the field. Maybe you did. Maybe you got ran off by the, the referees. I did. But you're so excited, so proud. That's my boy. Yes. And he dances over him. The father, as we celebrate, dances over us. But then when we hurt, when we struggle, this, the God of the universe, the, the Messiah, the King, cares so much that not only does he know the number of the hairs on your head, but he cares about you so much that when you hurt, he hurts. He mourns when you mourn. He mourned with me. He hurt with me when, when I lost my friend. He had no reason. He had no reason to mourn Lazarus. But he mourned with Mary. Don't you care, Jesus? More than you realize. Running out of time. We have not even gotten to the exciting part yet. So, fast forwarding a little bit. Where is he? He's at the grave. Let's go there. Great. Jesus weeps. They go, and he says that he's deeply moved in spirit and, and troubled again. He, he's there, looks at the stone, and says, uh, Will you roll that out of the way, please? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, you're joking. Jesus got jokes. No, <laughs> because we don't have Febreze and we don't have Glade plugins. We don't even have electricity. And the other side of that thing is like a garbage can full in the summertime. Open it up and it will knock you down. It stinks in there. Not going to do it. Bad idea, Jesus. Twice in this text, Jesus asks somebody to do something, but from their perspective, it's a bad idea. And according to their perspective, all of their logic, reasonably, the other side of that stone, that's not good. We don't want to be on the other side of that. I know what you're asking me to do, Jesus, but I know better because from my perspective, you're wrong. I'm right. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. The disciples, Jesus, we're going back. I don't think so. In the dark, I ha they have the perspective of darkness. Darkness is in their way. They don't, they don't trust his position of light. He don't, they don't trust that he knows what he's talking about twice. There's something that is in the way of those who are supposed to be trusting him. You could call it a stone. You could call it darkness. The reality is it's their own perspective. They trust their own small perspective above God's greater plan. How many of us, when we go to work, when we, as a teacher, say, well, I know that I believe in God, and here I'm going to do it, but, but there, it's a different world there. I know it's on the other side of that stone. There's no way I'm moving that thing. Mm -mm. Nope. When I step onto that base, I believe in God, I love God, I'm not going to do terrible things, but it's a different world. You can't be the same there as you are here. 
There's no way I'm moving that stone because I know what's on the other side of that. When I go in, my, when in business and sales, you've got to do what you've got to do to put food on the table. You've got to get it done. You can't just be all super sweet to everybody, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. You've got to do what you've got to do. There's no way I'm moving that stone. I know what God wants me to do, but there's no way moving that stone because I know what's on the other side. Not going to do it, Jesus. Don't even ask. How many times do we allow our narrow perspective to get in the way of God's greater plan? Listen to what he said. Even before he'd even left, before he even announced to the disciples that he left, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. God's plan is to be glorified, to show himself great. How often do I miss the glory of God because where he sees life on the other side of that stone, I see death and I say no. How many times do we miss the glory of God because our perspective is trusted above God's plan? I'm not going to do that. That's a bad idea, Jesus. I wonder if he ever just stands beside me and, and is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Jason, you know me. You know me. You've known me. You've walked with me for so long. You've seen so much. And you still trust your Small perspective above my plan. Jason, come on. Well, we've got to hurry. So um, he says, all right, move the stone. They finally, they move the stone. Jesus does the unbelievably, the amazing. Hey, Lazarus. Lazarus. Lazarus, Lazarus. Man, get out of there. Don't make me come in there after you. Uh -uh. Not going to do it. Come on, man. You're just going to stand here, make us all wait. Come on, Lazarus. Let's go. To the surprise of every person. Unbelievable to every person there. He wrapped in his um, wrappings as they kind of wrap people up like mummies back in the day. So he comes out. Zombie life. So they look. Oh, my goodness. And it was not, just in case you're wondering, there was not a... Mm -mm. Mary looked at Martha. Martha looked at Mary. (gasps) Oh my goodness, that's my brother! Oh my gosh, he's up! He's walking! He's alive! Every person there, he's alive! Oh my goodness, he's he's alive! Oh my goodness, he's alive! He was dead and he's There was some revival happening in that place. There may not have been any music, but there were some songs happening. It was crazy as he walked out. So much that Jesus had to dial it back and say, Guys, hold up, wait a minute. You just go make a a fella just struggle there? Will somebody go over there and help a fella out? I can't believe what's happening. Can't somebody go over there and unwrap the guy? He's going to trip. He's going to hit his head. He's going to die all over again. Come on, help him out. Blows their minds. It says right there, right after that, most of the people in that crowd that day believed because of what they saw Jesus do. They saw something outside of their own perspective, in other words. But there were some who didn't. Now, it seems like they're just kind of knuckleheads. What are you thinking? Are you so dense that you can't see what we all see very clearly? They went and they reported what they had seen to the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees called an emergency council together. And, they, and this emergency council, the Sanhedrin, all of the political leaders, the, the big players of the community, that area, the political leaders, the religious leaders, the major landowners, the, the power players of the day, all together in one meeting, emergency councils of the Sanhedrin. Listen, guys, we've got to do something. This Jesus is getting out of hand. We just found out this joker has now raised a guy from the dead. We've got to put a stop to this. We've got to do something. Now, again, from our perspective, this far removed, you look and go, what are you guys thinking? Are you so dense to miss that Messiah that he, he raises somebody from the dead and you're upset about it? Come on. But in their perspective, it was the only logical thing to do. The only good thing to do from their perspective would turn out to be the worst decision that any leader or the leaders of Israel would ever make throughout their history. But in their perspective, the only good thing they could do. Because, remember, they were looking for a Messiah. But they were not looking just for some do-gooder, miracle worker, sweet talker. They were looking for a political figurehead. They were looking for a military general with some significant strategic abilities to raise up an army to overthrow the shackles of Rome. Rome, who had been overlording over them, their, their owners to a degree, who had said... 
Israel, listen, if you will behave, we will let you manage yourself, take care of yourself, and handle yourself. But if you can't seem to do that, we don't want to waste our resources. We don't want to waste our manpower. But if we have to come down and clear things up, we're going to make sure we don't have to do it twice. Point taken. Roger. Gotcha. So, they were terrified. They, they, they thought, okay, this Jesus, this do-gooder, he doesn't have an army. He's not a political figurehead. He's certainly no general. He's not what we're looking for, and he is messing things up. This do-gooder, sure, he's doing good things, but he's stirring the commoners up, the, the, the common people who just don't know any better. They're going to start thinking, this guy is the Messiah, and they're going to start revolting, and if they revolt... What are we going to do? It's going to be like a chihuahua against a grizzly bear. Not a good idea. Rome's going to get upset if they start revolting. They're going to come down, and it's going to, it's, we're not going to be a semi-autonomous state anymore. We're going to be a police-governed city-state. We're going to be like ancient Israel in ancient Egypt all over again. We're going to be slaves. Don't want to do that. If this Jesus has his way, if he's not careful, he may not even realize what he's doing. But these commoners, they're going to revolt. It's going to be the ruin of the entire nation. We don't want it to get worse for them. We've got to take care of our nation. Not only that, we've got to take care of ourselves and our families. You know what happens uh, if you look back in history. Generally, if, if a person's not doing a good job as a leader, they get deposed. When you get deposed, you don't just get put out the pasture and just kind of live your life. The new leadership will come in and go, I don't want you causing problems with me. I don't want you coming back and taking my new position. So... There's going to be an accident. Oh, their house burned and their entire family died? Hmm, that's too bad. Oh, they were traveling to the other side of the city and got attacked by robbers and I all died? Oh, that's too bad. Mm. Whoopsie. In that time, generally when a leader is deposed, the new leadership, generally they wouldn't come out and just attack, but accidents happened to the old leaders so consistently that pretty much everybody knew they had a hit put out on them. So they knew if this Jesus isn't careful and these commoners start revolting, we're going to lose our nation. We're going to become slaves like in Egypt all over again. We're going to lose our jobs. We're going to lose our lives. Our family's going to lose our lives. I've got to be a good father to my kids. I've got to be a good husband to my wife. I've got to be a good leader for my country. This is what God has put me here to do. I've got to take care of these people. This is my job. And what Caiaphas said was this. He said, if one, and if, if it is expedient for one to die for the sake of the nation, well, so be it. Now, there's a double meaning there. <laughs> we'll let you figure that out on your own. But from their perspective, they had to do what they had to do. A little bit of bad for a whole lot of good. From their perspective, they were only looking out for their nation. They were only looking, looking out for their family. Is that wrong to look out for your family? They were only looking out to, to, they were trying to do their job well. Is it wrong to do your job well? From their perspective, this Jesus was nothing but a problem. So they chose at that point. Now, like I said earlier, earlier, the, the fireworks, this amazing story. This happens to be one of the most significant passages in Scripture, often overlooked because it comes right after the fireworks. The worst decision Rome, the le- excuse me, the leaders of Israel would ever make throughout history, they chose because in their perspective, they must, they chose to kill their Messiah, not even realizing it. How often do I just know I've got to do this? I've got to take care of my family. It's not like Jesus is going to come down here and put food on my table. How often am I just like them? How often am I just like Mary? How often am I just like Martha? How often am I just like the disciples? So close to Jesus, doing all the right stuff, missing the heart of God. Missing the heart of God. Is there a stone in your life that needs to be rolled? Is there, is there a call on your life that you've been saying, no, no, God, I know better, I'm not going to do that? Is there a place in your life when you've chosen not to be the man that God created you to be because in your perspective, that's not a good idea, Jesus. We don't need to go there. I know better. You just don't get it. Is there a place in your life where your perspective is keeping you from seeing what God has planned all along, the glory of God and availed in your life? Are you willing to trust God who has a greater perspective over the smaller perspective that you and I have? Not easy, is it? Because it may cost. And we will find ourselves just like Martha did. You didn't show up, Jesus I gave you a chance. Maybe there's somebody here today who, who you, you're here because you're supposed to be. You've said, I'll, I'll keep coming. I'm fine with, I will come here. But 
Your heart's far from God. You know why? Because you gave him a chance. You prayed, Jesus, if you will do this for me, I will do whatever. I will go anywhere. I will, whatever you want, I'll say yes. If you'll do this one thing for me. And he didn't show up. Your heart is far from God. And I want to I challenge you and encourage you to know that, that sometimes his call in our life is not according to our plan, but his plan is a whole lot bigger. I want to ask you just to, to explore your heart today a little bit, to ask yourself, is there something that's keeping me from being the person God created me to be? Maybe you've never made Christ Lord of your life. You're hearing this message of truth of how, how Jesus raises people to life and, and has changed people's hearts, and, and, and you've never done that yourself. You've never, taken, you've never taken that step of obedience in Christ to say, I turn from sin, I turn from self, I let go of my perspective, and I take hold of the perspective of God. From now on, I belong to him. He's mine, and I'm his. If, if, if there's never been a time in your life when you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, to not dis, this morning, I want to encourage you to, to be brave enough to make that, that challenge, to, to accept that challenge, to say yes to this Jesus, the Jesus who raises people from the dead, to make, give new life to your bones. I want to encourage you, if there's a stone in the way, roll it out of the way. If it needs to be crushed, crush that joker. Do what God has called you to do, and don't let your perspective keep you from being what he created you to be. Let me pray for you. We've got three minutes before life group starts. I know you don't want to be late to that, so I'm going to pray for you. Um, if you'd like to speak with someone about a decision you'd like to make, um, right in the mission center, straight through these doors, there's a little glass um, little area over there. We'll be hanging out for a little while. Would love to talk with you. But let me pray for us. Sadly, we don't have time for the song that we're supposed to sing because I was talking more than I was supposed to. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that, that you are consistently faithful. And God, I thank you that even though there are times that I, I frustrate the daylights out of you, you're still there and you still choose to draw near and you still choose to care. God, I thank you for second chances. I thank you for tenth chances. I thank you, Lord, I, I thank you that you're willing to give life to these old bones. And God, I thank you that, that when you can see beyond the stone, knowing that there's life there, that, that even when we say no, when we say, God, that your plan is not a good plan, that you continue to press. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be the people that you created us and desire us to be, to be the people that reveal your glory unhindered. God, I pray that you'd help us to not allow our small, limited perspective to get into the way of your greater plan for our church, for our families, Lord, for Hampton Roads. For us to be what you created us to be all along. In your name we pray. Thank you guys. Look forward to seeing you in a life group.